Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I am your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we are bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Max Kaiser, Lynn Alden, Tomer Strolight, Corey Clipston, and many others from the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button to make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode, or you can join us live on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, every morning and become part of the conversation yourself. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. I don't pay too much attention to the TA stuff, but I love to hear the analysis, man. Like, let us know what uh, you're thinking, actually. We're going to jump into some news topics here in a couple minutes, but happy to discuss that with you if you want. By the way, DJ Satoshi out in the audience, I'm throwing you an invite. You're welcome to come up here. Yeah, I mean, I'm no, I'm not going to, you know, market myself as some sort of TA expert, um, but I've been around long enough where certainly got a gist of it. I'm seeing a lot of strong top weekly candles, also some strong, I suppose, bottom weekly uh, weeks as well. So obviously consolidating, but yes, chopping between a couple support resistances, forming patterns, you know, I'm not revealing anything that the whole world doesn't really know already, I don't think. My, my, my opinion just generally on, on TA is that, especially with Bitcoin, is, I mean, personally, I, I just don't pay any attention to it simply because I just buy, I stack, forget about the price, come back in five years minimum, and 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 then TA doesn't make. You can drive your stuff, and maybe you're a trader by, by day, and that's what you do, But and, and fair play if you do, but... Um, you can drive yourself absolutely nuts looking at charts all day, all day, trying to find patterns, trying to find, you know, this Fibonacci, that, this fractal, that, etc. And you can end up driving yourself nuts. Uh, uh, if you are a trader, fair play. If you're not, if, if you're just looking, you know, at Bitcoin as, you know, a long-term savings technology, then just buy it, hold it, stack it and, and, and chill for, for a few years. Yeah, I'm not really a trader. I'm definitely more of a hodler. I trade, you know, half a percent, a percent of the portfolio. But yeah, it's just basic stuff. Just trust um, the fundamentals yes. and trust the fundamentals. Mate, you wouldn't have to worry about any of that TA stuff. For sure. Like for anyone in the audience who, you know, is unsure or is new to it, that's definitely the best, best solution. DCA into a position and just hodl. Never sell. A lot of people don't understand this concept of never sell. People who are new to Bitcoin might come in and be like, that's ridiculous. This is a cult. Why would you never sell? And I'll, I'll cover that point really quickly because I think it's important for, for new people to understand. When you hear Bitcoiners say, I'm never selling, it's not because they've been brainwashed into a cult. It's because they consider Bitcoin the new money. They're never intending to sell it back into U.S. dollars because they see the end of the U.S. dollar system. Now, whether that takes 20 years or 10 years or five years or however long it takes, Bitcoiners generally look at Bitcoin as the next money. Not only the next money, but the next money that will absorb all of the buying power of the U.S. dollar as the U.S. dollar system 
circles the drain over time. Yeah, and I mean, the only thing I'd add to the whole never sell thing is that there will be, you know, everyone has their own kind of circumstances and, you know, certain parts of uh, of just life in general whereby you know th- th- there may be a, a a necessary reason that you need to sell but I, I, at least I, I think of it as kind of you know don't sell if you're just if don't get into bitcoin for just buying selling at a profit and and bitcoin is so much more than that like so much more that's than that. trading in, in and out of bitcoin as an asset but it's privileging the u.s dollar as the numerator Basically, a person who's doing that believes that the U.S. dollar system is going to continue essentially forever, or at least long enough for it to be more important than Bitcoin, I guess. They've not come yet come to the conclusion. It's the easiest way to figure out where somebody's at mentally when it comes to Bitcoin. If they're talking, if they use the word investment, or they're using the word, I'm going to trade out of it, or whatever, or they're asking about tax implications, that means they haven't yet crossed that bridge where they're still looking at it going, yeah, it's an interesting investment that I'm going to get into and get out of at some point in the future. But that means they're going to get back out of it into whatever their local currency is, meaning they think their local currency is better. And they're just, they're just confused. (laughs) We should feel bad for those people. Help educate them. Yeah, I think so that's that's spot on. You know, the whole journey down the Bitcoin rabbit hole is, as I say, it's a journey. It's not just something you just turn up to and understand. But I think you know, getting the information out there is, um, you know, certainly key to that. There's plenty of information out there now. I mean, there was a time where there wasn't that much. I can remember even back in the 2017 timeframe, there wasn't that much, and now. There's dozens and dozens of books, dozens of podcasts. There's morning shows. This there's really no excuse anymore. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely. I'll, I'll whether they're you. interested. Go on, Stoic. No, no, I was just saying it's it's just a matter of being interested enough to actually do the work. That's all. What I find really interesting is years ago, I used to tell people, you know, and this is before even, you know, Bitcoin was kind of considered a savings technology or or that had been kind of battled about. But um, I used to tell most people don't invest, you know, more money than you can afford to lose. But it's kind of crazy how far we've come when it's got to the stage where it's like, don't hold more you know fiat in your bank account than than you can afford to lose but it it, it quite literally is like that you just have to take a look at canada um you know to to see what happened there a a month or so ago and it it really is a case of that i really have minimal savings in fiat i i have you know just enough to cover me and my family for a few months almost everything else i have is is in bitcoin and so getting back to that never sell thing, there will be times, you know, that, you know, I won't go into details, but there, there, there are times that, that I've had in my life and there may be times in the future where, you know, the savings that I've got in fiat isn't enough. And therefore, I need to sell some Bitcoin to cover whatever it is I need to pay for. Um, but it wouldn't be a case of me, you know, just sort of selling Bitcoin and saying, oh, look, I've made a profit and, and I'm keeping this in, in pounds sterling. I absolutely agree with Alex on that front that, you know, it, 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 it's kind of very short sighted to, to buy Bitcoin at a certain price, you know, 
make a massive amount of money on that and then just sell it and then just keep that shit in, in dollars or pounds or euros. That just makes zero sense. Yeah, it's like the uh, they say only invest, you know, when you're starting out, it's like only invest what you can afford to lose in Bitcoin. That's like how my friends talk and stuff whenever they're like getting into it new. But like once you cross that threshold to the point, then you realize it's only keep as much money in the bank that you can afford to lose. Isn't that a funny mental transition? That's hilarious to me. But I've literally seen that. Like, I've lived through that transition of when, you know, when Bitcoin really was, you know, pretty nascent and, and sort of, you know, it had nowhere near the market cap it had now. And it really was a kind of, look, you know, we do believe in this thing, but it, it's not been around long enough to, to know if it's going to be here for a long time. You know, it's a lot different now to, to when it was then. And, you know, conversely, back then, you didn't have, you know, certain governments freezing bank accounts for, for, for people that supported certain causes. Like the, the whole thing has kind of become inverse and sort of flipped on its head. It's, it's nuts. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the time it can come down to not just, as we're saying, getting the information out there, but also sometimes you actually have to change someone's worldview, which isn't very hard. Uh, sorry, which isn't very easy, I should say. Um, yeah, especially when you look at other so-called investments such as stocks, bonds, whatever, you know, people who are generally on the older side of life, generally where the money is per se, um, they're, they're generally stuck in their ways in a, in a sense. Most people won't need their, their worldview. I, I agree with the whole worldview comment, but, but sooner or later, most people won't need to be persuaded. They'll just, you know, you, you just look at what's going on. You look at the, the you know, inflation rate. People, people won't need persuading. They'll, they'll, people will have a light bulb moment. You know, people need to kind of be aware of Bitcoin. And, you know, that I'm, I'm sure I, I find it difficult to believe, you know, that, that most people under the age of, say, you know, even 65 haven't heard of bitcoin but they may have just brushed it aside but as as developments keep taking place in in, in this clown world then it would just become more and more evident that to, to them that actually shit i need to read more on, on bitcoin i need to fully understand this because they will realize that their purchasing power is depleting year on year on year on year and eventually they'll get fed up you know when they decide to make that decision it, it, it is on them but for, for, it'd be beneficial for them to do it sooner rather than later you know what i'm curious about um is i feel i feel like we've crossed a threshold where much more people have heard of Bitcoin and at, are at the point where they just don't know what it is. Like we're at a point now where I think much of the world has at least heard of it. Like I could be wrong about that. I'd be curious. Like if we were to go out and do a poll right now, just pick any shopping center anywhere in a major city in, in Western civilization, ask a thousand people, have you heard of Bitcoin? I wonder what the number would be. What do you guys think? Yeah, there's probably a lot of people that are like at that point where like how a lot of us were, where you heard about it, you ignored it. And then it's like it's still not going away. And now, it's, as you said, there's this whole, you know, kind of ecosystem around it that we didn't have before. So if they're coming in new or if they've been waiting for so long, it's it's like now they may just be waiting for that right piece of education or that right piece of information to help them understand what they're missing because yeah, it's not going away. 
Yeah, and people yeah. convince themselves. Like, I'm not of the opinion you can convince anybody of anything. Like, I don't, even though, okay, here's the funny thing about that. I work in sales, right? I work with Swan Private, so I work in high net worth sales. But I don't believe really in convincing so much as I do talking to people who are looking for answers. Like, somebody has to be searching for the truth. Because otherwise, you're just, you're, 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 Otherwise, you are in a cult. You're in a cult, you're in a soapbox, and you're screaming at them to get orange-pilled, and it's ridiculous, right? They have to want to know. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people, say out of a 1,000, I think a lot of would have heard of Bitcoin. I used to work um, for a crypto mining company. We used to sell investments, though, essentially like mining packages, and we would call into Australia and New Zealand. And essentially, this was, I started there, uh, pretty much middle of the bear market, like December 2018. And when you call people, they're just, you know, the only thing they've heard about Bitcoin is that, you know, Jono down the road lost, you know, a bunch of money off it to scam and, you know, there's nothing behind it and, you know, all these kind of just general FUD arguments for us. Um, and, yeah, it's just like I say before, like, like I said before, I should say, um, it's just a matter of people being interested enough to actually put the work in, Um but, you know, generally speaking, a lot of people are just content with their, their everyday lives. Like they get up, they go to work, they come home, they watch the news and, hey, that's their life. So, but I think either way, every single person will be forced to learn about Bitcoin, whether they like it or not. It's just a matter of whether you learn about it now, whether you learned about it 10 years ago, or whether you learn about it when it's at $10 million a coin. For sure. Good morning, D. Good morning, Peter. Hey, what's going on, guys? Um, just to jump in as... Uh just saying, uh, especially for people with easy money, right? They're, they're, you know, people aren't going to want to spend their Bitcoin until they have to. And uh, I think that's a really good point. I don't know who brought it up. Maybe Ant was, uh, but uh, yeah, like, you know, you're, you're going to have to be forced to sell your Bitcoin at some point or, you know, pay for a service or good uh, eventually. But I think, you know, people realize that they're just going to keep holding it until they really need to use it, right? Uh, until it's a necessity. Good morning. Oh, I'm sorry, D. Were you not finished? No, no, no. I'm good. I'm good. No, go ahead. Yeah. Good morning. You know, my my uh, um, my information is anecdotal, but I I really believe that people have to. They really need. There's. It, you have to have a need or a necessity for it, and once you have a need or a necessity, and that doesn't matter if it's psychological, like curiosity, financial. Um, or uh, uh, security, whatever it is, what, what, if one of the properties of Bitcoin fits your need or necessity case, then you're going to start to look at it. Um, my group of friends are, my core group of friends are older, and they are still on the fence. All of them have heard of it. Um, but they've all heard of it because of what happened, really. I mean, they kind of heard of it in 2015, 2016, 2017, but it, it was more of a novelty then. Once it got above 20,000, once it was like on CNBC and there was, you know, serious, quote unquote, serious people who turn out to be clown world, but serious people talking about it uh, on CNBC that's when people my age kind of start to pay attention to it because it's like, oh, look at this thing. But they still don't understand it and they don't have a need for it. And so, Alex, I think your question about, you know, in the Western world, go to a mall, who knows about it, who doesn't? 
I think that's going to be really dependent upon. And when you say know about it, I don't know if you talk talking about have just heard of it, period, or if you're talking about like yeah, that's that's just the heard of it. I was looking for. Have you heard of it, or are you somebody who has never heard of Bitcoin before? So whether you know about it or not, that's a completely different question to me. Yeah, I, I think you're right, though. I think I think now because it's gone mainstream, it's gone mainstream in so many different ways um, from the and mostly from the negative FUD. Um, that it, of course it has survived, but yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think there's a, there's a huge number of people that have heard about it now versus before, but it's mainly because of the number go up and serious people, um, trading it, not investing in it. I don't know about that. There's this whole dynamic that's occurring right now. That's pointing at it. It's like all of the world events recently are all the biggest advertisements for Bitcoin ever. Like you've got Canada, you've got this psychopath up in Canada freezing people's bank accounts and and seizing their property for peacefully protesting in bouncy houses and having barbecues. And then you've got this crap going on over in Ukraine. Two million people have fled the country, and it's a perfect use case for that. Plus, you've got the president of the United States coming out with executive orders around the ecosystem. You've got regulators talking about it. You've got guys like Bill Gross, the king of bonds, who, if if my memory serves correctly, somebody correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I think he used to shit on Bitcoin. And now he owns some, apparently. So, so, so but that's, but Alex, I think that's, that's, we're not asking about crypto, we're asking about Bitcoin, right? And I, I think the vast matter. majority of people of the, can't separate the two. No, no, that's correct. But what I'm getting at is, I think the important part is is that we've passed this threshold where I think most people probably know it exists. They may not know shit about it. They may not know the difference between a crypto and a Bitcoin, but we've crossed that threshold of awareness. Like people are aware. It's like adoption of anything. There was a point where everybody... uh, knew what a cell phone was, right? There was a point when nobody knew what they were. And you'd have these guys walking around with these gigantic Motorola gray bricks and they looked like they're communicating with the freaking Star Trek Enterprise. Like who are these lunatics? Right. You know, you know, Alex, the reason people know knew about cell phones was because of Gordon Gecko walking around with that cell phone in Wall Street. Right. That is hilarious. And that is an that's an example of what I mean. When it becomes kind of the it's it's it becomes common part of the lexicon of of the people, right? That's that's a huge marker in my mind for adoption. The next marker, obviously, is understanding what the hell it is. Like so, there a- so is has there been a movie yet where where there's been some kind of iconic moment like that where Bitcoin has been has been uh, a part of that that iconic moment? Do, you, do we know of any? I mean, there's a ton of shows with Bitcoin in it. Mr. Robot had a pretty high preference on it early on. And there's been some other stuff too. It keeps popping up. Yeah, I don't know if it's a mainstream moment though, but would there have been there have just been plenty enough moments. I think at this point, it's going to be important to start measuring who understands what it is. I think we're at past that threshold where the majority of people have heard of it. Now it's who understands it. For uh, for me in Canada, um, I mean. A lot of my friends, they're kind of more into the real estate hype. Like instead of, I, I always, you know, tell them about Bitcoin and say, hey, man, like 
you want to hedge against inflation. You want to, you know, you see these crazy rising prices and shit. Like you got to get on this Bitcoin standard, man. <laughs> and they're like, well, I'd rather buy a really uh, overpriced house. And I'm like, oh man, like, I don't know. I feel like they're, uh, they're kind of going a little bit of a wrong direction, right? You know, you see a, you see a Bitcoin chart, you show it to them and then they get scared because they say, oh, well, it was 3000 last March. So I don't want to buy the top, you know, but I'm like, well, if you buy a house right now, I mean, you most likely are going <laughs> to be buying buying kind of a, a top as well. So, you know, it's, I, I find it very difficult to uh, get people off that, you know, um, house house safe, property safe um, standard and rather rather uh, invest in Bitcoin instead. But uh, I find it a bit of a struggle. Yeah, All right, got- so the price of gas is increasing how fast? The price of lithium is increasing how fast? The, you know, the thing is, people are, get upset about inflation, but then they'll look at a Bitcoin chart and they'll be like, oh my gosh, it's scary. It's like, really? Yeah, part yeah. of that, Alex, yeah. is because, is because you know, Bitcoin's only been around 13 years. Gold and real estate have been around forever, right? And so people can, they, they look at it through the rearview mirror and they say, well, this has been around forever, so it's safer. Even that is a even that is a fallacy. These are these people are me- are mentally masturbating, because think of it like this: the euro is only ten years older than Bitcoin, and yet it's fully adopted in the minds of the West as like a currency. Most people, if you asked them how how old is the euro, they probably tell you, "Well, oh, it's been around since Jesus." It's like you know, it just becomes part of the psyche of the society after time. And it's just a period. It's you know another five or ten years from now. I think that's that's the way it'll be with Bitcoin. Well, that's one of the things that gives me hope is you know like we were born into this system where these dollars were a thing, and there's no questioning it. And then, like you said, like we saw the euro created, but there's other people who were born into it where it was just here. They never saw that, and there's going to be more and more people born every day where Bitcoin's just been here and it's always been here. It's just always been a part of their world. And I appreciated the reference on the cell phone, but I wanted a cell phone because Zach Morris had it. (laughs) Because who had it? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Zach Morris, man. Saved by the bell. You know, a cell phone, a cell phone too is, is much more um, accessible from uh from a psychological standpoint because it's still it's still a phone it still looks like a phone it just doesn't have a wire you know bitcoin is bitcoin is a is a leap let's talk about some of the news good morning by the way you're listening to cafe bitcoin welcome everybody we do this every day we talk about bitcoin every day if you're new and you want to learn about bitcoin good place to be so I saw this really interesting tweet. This was from the Russian embassy in UK. They were quoting Putin, and he says, the illegitimate freezing of some of the currency reserves of the Bank of Russia marks the end of re- reliability of so-called first-class assets. US and the EU have defaulted on their obligations to Russia, and now everybody knows that financial re- Reserves can simply be stolen. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a watershed moment in history. Remember this, I think. My my humble opinion, this is a big deal. 
there was a uh, article that came out written by uh, a guy by the name of, I guess, Zoltan from Credit Suisse, who basically said, after this war, money will never be the same. The whole system, the whole monetary system is resetting in front of our very eyes if we know what signposts to look for. That was a big one, in my opinion. And then immediately after, here's another interesting one. What are the, what's the date on this one? Let's see. All right. I don't see the date. This one is in Bitcoin, istbitcoinist.com. In this article, it's stating that the Central Bank of Russia has given Sberbank authority to issue digital assets. So on Thursday, Central Bank of Russia said that it had granted Sberbank a license to issue and more importantly, exchange digital assets. And this is fascinating. So when we started the call this morning, I had mentioned, I think we're creeping towards that day where you start to see central banks with uh, Bitcoin on the balance sheet. They basically just gave permission to the Central Bank of Russia to do exactly that. We shall see. Financial issues coming to the fore, including, and probably most importantly, as you've said before, the Saudi Arabia talking, even talking about a 25% of their, of their oil sold in, in the in the Juan is, is that's, that's mind blowing. It, it really, it really is. Now, for the, uh, the banks issuing assets, do you think that they're going to take, I guess it's just going to be like a, another Coinbase or exchange where they take a fee and just kind of rake up those fees to make profit, I guess? Or, you know, I, I wonder what, I wonder what their margin is going to be. Like they, I think the point is that they have just cleared the legal pathway for a central bank, one of the largest in the world, to hold cryptocurrencies on its balance sheet. That's a big deal. I don't think that they're like, oh, we're going to be the next FTX. We're going to be the next Coinbase. Everybody should buy their Bitcoin through the Bank of Russia. I don't think that's the point. I think what they're basically saying is they're signaling that they're looking at cryptocurrencies as real assets. Central banks don't hold assets that don't have certain ratings unless they're just trying to pump up the currency. I mean, as far as what considered tier one assets by central banks, these are bonds of other nations issued by the governments of other nations and gold. This is according to the Bank of International Settlement, right? So assets that central banks hold have to meet certain criteria in terms of their, their backing, the, the view on the quality of the counterparties and the so-called quality of the paper. Right. And it's a really huge deal that they're willing to say, okay, well, we can hold cryptocurrencies as assets. They're the first central bank, as far as I know, um, from a large nation. I'm not talking like a small outlier like uh, El Salvador. This is Russia we're talking about. Right. That is yeah, saying, that's a great point. Great point. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. <laughs> My bad. No, it's all good, man. I was kind of just rambling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just no, think I, it's a I, big deal. I mean, personally, yeah, 
I'm still processing it. I just saw it this morning and I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, that is a big deal. And um, why, like, I don't know. It seems to me like if this is correct, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to vouch 100% for this source. This is coming from Bitcoinist.com. Maybe we have a better source if anybody has any other info about this. Um, but if that is true, that is a really big deal. Right. It's almost putting like a AAA, AA stamp on, on uh, crypto and saying, you know, this is actually legit now instead of just a, a scam or a yeah, pump and dump type thing. I wonder, I wonder what what they'll choose for, you know, because crypto is obviously a very broad term. You know, we're all Bitcoiners here, but I wonder what their spread will be um, in terms of different types of crypto and what what they will hold and what they will deem not worthy of holding. Yeah, I guess time will tell. I mean, I don't, I suppose announcing something like that might be just for show. I mean, maybe they're just posturing. Um, and maybe they're just paving the way for the central bank of Russia to start buying crypto and putting it on the balance sheet. I don't know. We'll see. It's certainly to me, it's, it's just mind blowingly big. Who did you say that was Alex? Central Bank of Russia. So there's an article in Bitcoinist. Here, I'm pulling it up. Bitcoinist.com. The article is um, Central Bank of Russia gives Sparebank a license to issue and exchange digital assets. Coindesk is also reporting it. Yeah, they're kind of in a, a bit of a shithole at the moment. They don't really have too much option, to be fair. But I always try and look at things from like a zoomed out point of view. Um, and this is really just, as I see it, another domino along the way. All right. I think I misread this article, guys. If this is saying that the central bank has granted spare bank a license, that's not the same thing as the central bank itself holding the digital assets. So I got all excited about nothing. No, but at the same time, when the central bank and essentially the government has, I assume, power to seize those assets, um, makes sense. Now, my my first thought would be that I, it could, you know, it could be type of a little bit of a trap per se, because instead of you know holding your own coins on a cold wallet or or whatnot, you, they would now have control of your coins, and if they deemed fit to to you know freeze them, then they could, right? Just kind of like what the government here kind of did. That's what, that's what my first worry would be, I guess. Who's going to be the first major country to come out with a CBDC? China's already got one. This is true. And Nigeria had, or I think Nigeria has one as well. Did anyone uh, see the the Ukraine digital ID stuff? Does anyone have any thoughts on that? I, I saw I briefly saw something on Twitter about it, but I was uh, didn't look too far into it. I saw that too. Doesn't sound good if it is if it is what they're saying it is. Yeah, it was something about you know releasing a, a digital ID mixed with a you know kind of like a, a, 
a money that would after four months kind of be defaulted so i was like oh my gosh <laughs> no no thanks Kind of seems that's, that's where the world's heading. I mean, even here in Australia, you're starting to see more uh, like news articles, um, you call it like shit on the TV about digital identity, kind of just warming people up really. And even on like government services websites, they even now start plugging about how uh, digital IDs, uh, you know, I can't remember the buzzwords they use, but how it's safe, efficient, convenient, you know what I mean? Um, I really think that's kind of the end game for a lot of countries, but I'm not even sure if the politicians believe it or don't understand it or yeah just don't understand the consequences of it um but yeah, yeah it's kind of sad it. to see and scary no they understand it well i don't know i don't know if every single politician like i try and think here like some definitely would but i think most probably are in the bracket where they couldn't organize a route in a brothel kind of thing like i'm not sure they have the capacity I, I, to really oh, understand I see, what you're I see what you're saying there are, yeah i agree with that actually like some of them are just dumb, right? <laughs> yeah, I can I can see that. There's others who know exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it. And then there's others who know what they're doing and why they're doing it and they oppose it, right? Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of those. So we got to figure out the bad actors basically and start replacing them. That's the only way to fix all that, I think. It's wild. It's, you know, the country's being invaded over there. And, and But at the same time, they have the opportunity to roll out their DID program. And it just made me wonder, like, who's paying for that? <laughs> yeah, and, and, to do it, and to do it during war, even. That's an interesting concept. I don't know how well that'll work, really. I mean, the whole idea is just... Um, movement and checkpoints and all that kind of thing right i mean that's ultimately where where that leads to all those dystopian movies you see where there's checkpoints that you have to go through to get to the other areas a checkpoint charlie society majid nawaz was talking about that on the um on the rogan podcast well, control of movement is is a key priority for people who know what they're doing when they're passing this stuff. I'm talking all the way up to the WEF level and the and the direct sort of supporters of that shit. They know what they're doing. They know why they're doing it. But I mean, we're we're not a million miles away from that already, and and have kind of been in that for the whole concept of passports and people being on you know blacklists and uh, and whatnot in countries there's that whole checkpoint issue with just the existing traditional passport system. The, the difference is the digital one just kind of, you know, intertwines so many different aspects and makes it all the more dystopian. But very convenient, right? <laughs> very convenient. I don't know if what you guys uh, saw in your countries, but certainly here in Australia during the thick of COVID, we saw a lot of control of movement, movement. like a lot of the state borders were closed. You couldn't go through unless you're vaccinated. Um, and even that's then, the whole you know idea. I mean? that's the whole idea. Like they, they want to get people accustomed to the control of movement. It's a ratchet function. So just like we were talking about how like there's new generations of people who grow up where a certain thing is normal, like it's always been there. Like that's what they want for the next generation of human beings for checkpoints to be normal. It's just always been that way as far as I've known it growing up. This is normal. Yeah. So I'm not so trying to trigger anybody here, but there was uh, Missouri's talking about making it illegal 
for their uh, residents to go out of state for uh, abortions. I Which state is trying Canada. to do that? <laughs> I just read about it this morning, uh, Missouri. And, and it says, I'm not trying to make a commentary on abortions, but on the fact that they want to limit their residents from moving from yeah, one state to another. Of, control of movement for any reason, regardless of whether you agree with abortion or not, it's not the point. Any control of movement by government is an overstep. That needs to be put in check big time. Yeah, I mean, uh, here in Canada, I mean, if you're an unvaccinated person like myself, I still, I still, still cannot leave my country. So... Uh, yeah, hoping for those to be dropped eventually, but uh, I'm still stuck here. That's like yeah, the I'm whole the same kind boat. of thing. We, we, I was, I've talked on Cafe Bitcoin about this a few times. I, I would love to go to, to you know, um, the Bitcoin Miami conference, but you know, uh, I can't be asked with all the vaccination bollocks and what, what, you know, all the tests and worrying about if I, you know, I'm not vaccinated and uh, I don't want to have to worry about whether I show positive on some stupidly designed test that isn't even fit for, for its purpose, et cetera, et cetera. Good morning, Rob. How are you doing? Good, man. How's it going, brother? It's going uh, good. Nice. Nice. Hey, Alex, as you were talking, I, um, that old line about Ukraine and the, uh, the DID, it's that old line, uh, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste, right? The perfect time to, you know, flip something like that in when people are heavily distracted elsewhere. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Is this true, Stoic? You would know. Did they remove the ATMs down in Australia? No, the ATMs still work and all that kind of stuff. We Speaking of which, we have some pretty stupid rules in place. Like, I think you can only, this is pre-COVID, still exists. Um, you can only withdraw like $2,000 of your own money per day. And yeah, there, there are like obviously financial controls, but because of COVID, um, no. But even like, as you talk about normalization, um, you can make a, I, even though I think it's bullshit, I think you can make a more rational argument to separate states, for example. Um, but even in between states here, even between where I live in the Gold Coast and Brisbane, they had police on the highway pulling people over, checking if they're vaccinated, see if they're allowed out of their house. Um, the, the sad thing about what we have here is a lot of people, um, they're not for it. Like they're not for all this COVID bullshit, but they're not against it enough to stand up to it. And that's that's kind of really where the problem is. I'm I'm like yourself. I think it was Noodle um, who can't, can't make it over to Bitcoin Miami. Uh, I'm also not vaccinated. And they literally won't let me out of the country. Like you cannot leave the country. It's kind of scary you're a prisoner in your own country same thing in canada they've done the same thing in canada like the the citizens of the nation are now prisoners where they're not allowed to leave that's fucked up which is so which is so odd because you'd think that you'd think that they'd be fine with you leaving it's maybe it's because they don't want to let you back in is that where the problem is you're you're a battery you're a battery. Yeah, Why would they want you to leave? The They're taxing your labor, brother. That's the whole name of the game. That's the whole system. The whole system is designed to steal your labor and your life and your energy time and give it I to a small group of people. I think over here, it's probably to bully people into it too. Like if they can essentially not see any way out of it, like they're threatened people with, you know, have to get this, otherwise you're going to lose your job, which is essentially... You can't feed your family. You're going to lose your house. You're going to be on the street. That's what they're threatening people with. Um, and I think this, this, you know, you can't leave. This is just threatening people into getting it again. 
Shooting. The way the ratchet function on power works is they crank it down right to the point where there's general rebellion and then they back off. However, the tools that they put in place while they're cranking it down stay. And this is something we were talking about maybe yesterday, but it doesn't matter. Like, you know, we were we were discussing politics a little bit and how like in the United States, there's a four year election cycle and every four years there's a new set of politicians in there. And what my point was, is that that is freaking irrelevant if you don't repeal the bullshit that the previous group put in there. You must repeal all this stuff. Repeal, repeal. We just look at what happened with the Patriot Act after 9-11. It's the, it's the same shit. Yes. Function, yes, right? yes, they yes. take the power, they take the power and they take the freedom away from you and they never give it back. Little bit by little bit. And the moment you get to the point where it's general rebellion, they'll back off a little bit, switch your focus, switch your attention. They did it in Canada. Right. And then they're like, look at Ukraine. Everybody look at Ukraine. Squirrel. And that's the problem. Everybody's like, squirrel. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, for me, I lost my job for about three months. I got fired back in November. Been, you know, looked for a job for three months without pay. You know, I want to, want to thank my lovely, lovely girlfriend for supporting me. <laughs> because I, you know, I was, I was a deadbeat for a little bit there. And, um, was looking at remote jobs for a long time and finally, you know, started working with the uh, coin kite here. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a major relief after getting a remote job because just going to work every day, wearing a mask, you know, being asked if I'm vaccinated it, it, everywhere, you know, it, it, it is hard. And it, it was not, it was definitely not easy to come out on the other side. Sounds like a blessing in disguise, though, no? Me, like we're yeah, now working yes. in Bitcoin. Absolutely. Yes. I cannot thank. Uh, Rodolfo enough. It, it, it's an amazing opportunity for sure. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I was just going to commend you. I know you're really active on the uh, uh, cold card uh, Telegram group. So um, a lot of good stuff yeah. on there. So those yeah, that have a cold card, you definitely need to go get into that um, Telegram group. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not here to shill, obviously. I know Crypto Mags is talking later today, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to tell you my story about uh, Canada here because I know, I know a lot of my friends that just gave in because they had no other option and they were going to be fired. And I was <laughs> one of the ones that said, you know what, I, I, I value my health over my, for my job. And I'm thankful for the people that supported me and, and my girlfriend, for sure. That was not a shell, my friend. So just so you know, I think that's awesome. Appreciate it's it. also the whole kind of one door closes, another opens. Look, I, I am absolutely desperate to work in bitcoin like desperate but i'm very fortunate at least currently and, and you know nothing is is promised but i'm very fortunate to be in the job i am at the moment uh, and you know I've, I've got i've got certain expenses and family expenses that i have to cover but i know for whatever reason should that come to an end then i i won't look at it as a kind of you know i'll look at it as a positive because that will be the moment i i, I pounce to, to the bitcoin industry Alex, did you want to talk about yesterday's hearing? Um, I think Rob wanted to say something. Were you, were you trying to say something, Rob? Oh no, man. Sorry, I uh, I think I have my Rob my mic on right now. Thanks. <laughs> We're have to bring okay, yeah, yeah. Um, what was the uh, hearing about yesterday? Did I miss something important, Peter? Uh, the hearing on uh, it's how how it was the three. God, what was the title of the hearing? 
it was um, it was all the senators asking questions about whether or not uh, crypto and Bitcoin in particular can help the the Russians and the oligarchs, the Russian government um, and the oligarchs avoid uh, the sanctions. Yeah, I saw a, a almost three minute video this morning of Warren Elizabeth Warren asking. I guess it was one of the chain analysis guys. Yeah, Levine. Um, yeah, questions about it. She's such a bitter woman, isn't she? Jesus. You know, I, I at first I thought that that she just didn't understand Bitcoin, but after watching that line of questioning, I think she understands I think she understands Bitcoin far better than than what I thought. And um, you know, she did get what she wanted. She's really good at she's really good at being able to set the stage for um or frame um, a conversation for what she's going to do which was the whole plan behind those questions was then to introduce her legislation which went yep. totally upside down because Levine kept saying no and and actually I thought that panel was um that panel was actually a pretty damn good panel and they cuz I listened to the, almost the entire hearing and they consistently uh, consistently the, the former, um, he's an FBI guy, but he's the former head of the, whatever the organization is that follows tracks, um, uh, illicit money. And every single one of them, almost every time said that, that, that Bitcoin was not only not a, a way for people to avoid sanctions, but was also a far better way for law enforcement to be able to um, find people that are uh, transacting in ways that they should be. Yeah, I think for her, it Bitcoin terrifies her on a very visceral level. I think, I think she's a true parasite. And uh, she gets pretty indignant about stuff and wants to point figures and wants corporations to pay their fair due. And the only reason prices are rising is corporations are greedy and they're jerks. And just she's very disingenuous. And for her, my opinion, all about power. It's all about power. She's, she's drunk uh, on it. She's like a Dr. Evil, right? Like she's, she's brilliant, but like an evil genius. And knows full well of what she says and understands that, like, basically Bitcoin disintermediates her use, her usefulness. And that's why she hates it. 100%. 100%. Completely disinter. Put it this way. If Bitcoin does what it can do, right, it's very possible that people like her are obsolete. Her role is obsolete. And I think it terrifies her. And there, that's my personal opinion that's the reason she attacks it the way she does not that any of her arguments are valid obviously right it's all rhetoric and it's spinning up a lot of bullshit i think what terrifies her is the idea that she has to take the time to do the work to understand self-custody self-sovereignty um and she has a lot if she's worth $12 million, she has a lot of responsibility. And, you know, people who, people who are at the top of the pile in, or towards the top of the pile in the top 1% in this system, you know, money is a dirty thing and nobody wants to really talk about it. Nobody wants to, to, 
um, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's something you have, but it's not something that you talk about. It's not something that you, um, that like in this, in what we do in here, we, we are constantly talking about finances and money and we talk about it on a, on a level that is very, um, objective and we've taken some of the stigma, uh, away from it, but it's going to force her to have to, um, do all of those things. And a lot of people in her position, in her station, as it were, um, don't like to, don't like to talk about finances. They just don't like to talk about it. They don't like to deal with it and they don't have to because somebody else is doing it for them. She, uh, she also, from what I understand, um, has absolutely no interest whatsoever in, in engaging with folks. So like, you know, there have been efforts, um, as you guys probably know, down in DC by like CJ Wilson and, you know, Jimmy Song and others to, to make inroads into the, at the staffing level, because the staffers really write the policy. They really write the laws because, you know, 60% of Elizabeth Warren's time is probably spent raising money. And her, like both her and her people have absolutely no interest whatsoever in engaging at all. So they've, they've basically, they've, you know, they set their position and they're digging in and like, they're, they're basically lost. They're, they're like not savable anymore, in my opinion. But surely it would benefit them. Like, like if Elizabeth Warren actually knew her shit when it came to Bitcoin, then surely she would benefit herself by moving some of her wealth to that and, and ushering in policies that are supportive of Bitcoin. But, but I think the problem is she just hasn't spent the time to understand it. Well, she has to, she has to understand it and she has to come to the conclusion that it's going to replace her pillars of power. That's the key with her. It has nothing to do. Like most Bitcoiners, you know, just from the perspective of, oh, this is better money. I figured out this is better money. Therefore, I'm going to start allocating my assets into it. Like for her, all of her power comes from the power structure of the United States government and her position and her ability to wield authority, right? I think that's the thing that she's afraid of losing. I don't think she's so concerned about her what assets necessarily um, are on her personal balance sheet, only what those assets can do for her. You mean Which because thing? she's the chairman of the Senate Banking Committee, maybe? Yeah. Well, what ultimately is going to introduce a little bit of pain is when, you know, uh, a significant enough number of her constituents own Bitcoin and start voting with their feet when she gets up there and trashes it. That's like the, that's going to be the fulcrum with someone I like agree her. With that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that totally agree. So Elizabeth Warren is going to get Bitcoin at the price she deserves, just like everybody else. <laughs> exactly. Uh, hey, um, I just wanted to add in on the Elizabeth Warren conversation. Um, good morning, everybody. This is just my opinion. I just think, um, you know, I've heard reports where, you know, the African-American community has a large, you know, are more active to buy Bitcoin. Um, <clears throat> And I just think that, you know, the Democrats have used um, the black vote for their advantage. And, you know, I think that, 
there's a force in political party that wants weak people to rely on the government, right? Like, you know, we've had un- universal basic income for a long time called welfare, you know, and I just think that kind of, it helps people, but then I think it hinders people. And for, you know, a, you know, a face like her to, you know, who says that she's for people, you know, for um, freeing people from, you know, um, <clears throat> financial freedom and all that, I think that's very counter to, you know, what she's supposed to stand for because Bitcoin is for, you know, it's for everyone. But in my opinion, I think it's more for the average person. And, you know, that's just a way to keep people reliant on the government to, you know, create FUD about Bitcoin when Bitcoin will help the people that they are trying to keep helping to rely on them. I just think that, you know, there's a force in government that wants people to rely on them and doesn't want them to be self-sovereign and have wealth and, you know, have a money that can't be controlled from anyone. Because, you know, if the masses of people got Bitcoin, you know, there would be, we wouldn't need the government at some point. It's just my opinion. Amen, brother. Amen. I think yeah. you said that really well, Power. Like, you're dead on. Dead on. Yeah, I think there's something about, like, Elizabeth Warren and a lot of other politicians like that that rail on Bitcoin. Like, I, I agree. It, it could be, Alex, as you suspect, like, they just want more power. I think that's, like, definitely could be part of it. But it doesn't need to be. Like, they can also think that legitimately they are they need control to improve the world and i think this is kind of like a a mental disease of of people that um especially really intelligent people who you know grew up solving problems and being applauded for doing that and told you know how to fix things and um and i grew up around a lot of these people i went to school with a lot of these people and they kind of think, well, we have to control these things to fix them. And I think I thought that for a long time. And as I sort of grew up and as I got into Bitcoin, I realized that's really not the right way. That that often ends up creating bigger problems. And like you're saying, power with welfare and and a lot of support systems, it does solve some things in the short term. But in a lot of cases, it creates longer term problems and issues and keeps people in a, a bad place. And I don't think a lot of government officials realize that they think they have to have control to fix things when in reality, relinquishing control would be the best thing they could do to fix things. 100%. And I don't know that the UBI, a lot of people are like, no, UBI, you know, people who are strict Austrian, Austrians in terms of their economic value or the way they look at the economy, you know, they apply an Austrian economics lens and uh, the whole UBI thing is horrible, which I agree with. However, I do think that the bigger problem is the fiat currency. And the reason why is is that the bifurcation of wealth where the wealthier are getting wealthier and then more and more people are falling off the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder because essentially you get up every day, you run to the hamster wheel, you jump on the hamster wheel, you run real real fast all day, chasing dollars, trying to make money so that you can keep pace with the price of change, like the cost of homes and the cost of fuel and the cost of food. You get on there and you run all day and then you get off and you're tired and you go watch TV and then you fall asleep and you get up the next day and you do it again and then you do it again. 
it again. You've got these people who are running as hard as they possibly can, but the problem is the cost of things are continuing to run away from them into the into the distance. And uh, that's the real problem, is that the fucking money is dishonest and we need to fix it. I'm going to hit some announcements here real quick, and then we've got Mags just joined the room. Welcome, Mags. And Thank uh, you. We'll, we'll jump into some conversation with Mags and talk about CoinKite and check out what's going on there. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We do this every day, Monday through Friday. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific, roll for about two hours, talk about all things Bitcoin. It is the place to get your morning news on Bitcoin. It's becoming a preferred hangout for really smart people in Bitcoin to just chill, talk about what's going on. It's also a podcast up on Spotify and Apple. Everywhere you get your podcast, throw a follow to Swan Bitcoin to be notified of when that drops. If you want to get a job in Bitcoin, go to Bitcoinerjobs.com. A lot of people want to leave the fiat mining system and they want to work in Bitcoin and support the mission. Look, there's nothing wrong with fiat mining. For some of you, that's the way. Just keep fiat mining. I know you think about Bitcoin all day long. I have these conversations all the time. People are like, I want to work in Bitcoin. Sometimes it's better if you're really good at what you do or you make decent fiat to just keep mining fiat and buy Bitcoin. So there's both paths. You can support the ecosystem both ways. Quick plug on about Swan. Swan Bitcoin, we take customers globally, guys. Doesn't matter whether you're South America, North America, Europe, wherever. Really good chance that we serve your country. Check us out. If you have a business and you want to put Bitcoin on your balance sheet, this is becoming a bigger deal all the time. Talk to business owners all day, every day. And uh, more are coming. And they're basically saying, look, I got this cash. Um, it's on the balance sheet. Don't like it. Want to own some Bitcoin. We have one of the fastest onboarding processes in the industry. I got a guy approved for his business uh, account with Swan in under 48 hours. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen every time. Sometimes it's a week, but it's way faster than everybody else. So check us out. All right, D, what's going on in your world, Mags? Hey guys, we're all trying to survive. <laughs> trying to make sure that Bitcoin's not regulated out. I see the EU is coming down on Bitcoin and proof of work. Uh, Senator Warren, who's typically very much for the people, is coming down hard uh, on crypto. And um, the frustrating part there is a lot of times they're misinformed or maybe are choosing to pick you know, their own version of reality and facts to present, which is not correct. So I think it's very frustrating, particularly as a former policymaker, um, when you make good, when you make bad policy based on, um, you know, facts that you find yourself. You know, honestly, I'm not worried about either of them. Like, uh, you know, if the EU legislates against proof of work, they're shooting themselves in the foot and in the face simultaneously. Just, just being idiots. Oh, 100% on that. Especially, it's not going to do anything but disadvantage people who live in the EU. And in fact, the smart people in the EU are just going to go around it. The same thing happened in China. You know, the amount of... (laughs) The amount of Bitcoin that moved when 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 China started coming down on that, they just it just moved, right? The Chinese kept buying; they're just buying on different exchanges. They kept holding no, Bitcoin; I'm, they just weren't holding it in China. Yeah. I'm talking about proof of work, though, not not Bitcoin, because China did both, right? So China 
banned uh, Bitcoin for, for the reason of capital controls, but then they also banned mining because that was a loophole um, because people continued to invest instead of in Bitcoin and mining equipment. So they had to close that loop because there was billions leaving through through that route. Um, and I do agree with you on shooting themselves in the foot. Um, and I think what's particularly interesting is looking at these geopolitics, um, especially around energy security and, and food security is tied to that too, because, uh, you know, you look at Europe and much of it is in the North. So if you're, um, you know, growing food, most of it is in greenhouses. Um, some of these countries, the Scandinavian countries in particular, have highly, um, uh, what's the word, We're technologized? No, <laughs> they've, they've implemented huge amounts of tech when it comes to farming greenhouses and and well i mean even drones etc so so you need energy for uh, and food uh in, in that particular case and the problem with banning proof of work mining uh i think is a couple fold um one what we're seeing kind of in texas you know Miners are integrating into the energy system and they're not just integrating from the sense of, uh, you know, they're helping optimize with the resources like in Texas where um, they're they're engaging in advanced response programs. They're actually integrating vertically as well in terms of energy production. There's some cool stuff happening in the UK, but also in Mexico where um, farmers uh, have started mining and they're using poop. You know, cow poo uh, can be hog, hog poo as well. And so that's biomass. And what they're doing is it's going into an anaerobic digester and creating biogas, and then that's being burned. So already it's, you know, an integration into farming and it's providing those farmers with an alternative revenue stream. And furthermore, um, greenhouses, you know, they're co-locating with a mining farm. Genesis was doing some trials up um, in Europe. I can't remember which country, but they were piping the heat from their farm into a greenhouse, um, which, you know, during cold winter months needs needs uh, the heat. And so here's another case where heat energy is not being wasted, it's being recycled. And, you know, so it's another energy source that otherwise they would have had to burn something more than likely, rather than using electric heat to keep these greenhouses warm. So. You know, here, here's another interesting scenario. What's happening in Canada is they're taking it a step further. So Mint Green is heating, will be heating the city of Vancouver, you know, providing district heat. And so these are kind of examples where, you know, mining has proliferated um, and spread out throughout the economy and has integrated with a number of sectors. And it's, you know, solving problem in some ways because it's subsidizing their energy system. Because there's, you know, this additional revenue stream and, and recently, you know, you were talking about governments and kind of the policies that they make. Well, typically, if you are funding um, public infrastructure, right, you have two pockets. You have the ratepayers, which are the users of the energy system, or you have the taxpayers. And one of them, and sometimes both, uh, you know, in the cases of nuclear where it's quite expensive, uh, you might dip into both. Well, here's a third pocket <laughs> that really has never existed before, um, and the economic incentives are aligned. And those economic incentives are, you know, miners, the, the biggest energy 
cost is sorry, the biggest biggest cost in any operation from an operating perspective is energy. So they locate where it's cheapest, right? And they're kind of they find the margins. Uh, and in some cases, you know, where can we find uh, a resource that's low cost or no cost? So the poop was an example. Um, but another cool example is PRTI that's using waste tires. Billions of tires are thrown out globally and they take that feedstock and then oftentimes they're paid for it because if you throw something out into a landfill, you need to get paid. Sorry, you, well, you do get paid because the landfill has to run their operation and it has to run it long term. And so they're they're getting paid to take in energy that they then convert. Um, they, it undergoes a, a thermal um, process where it becomes a synthetic oil, a synthetic gas that can be burned. Um, there's steel that's recycled from a tire and also carbon that could be used for tires. So, you know, multiple products that they're getting, but one of those, you know, two of those actually is energy. One is kind of like a diesel like fuel and the other one is gas. And what's really interesting too, thinking about that and, and sort of how Europe is different from North America is they don't really have as much space as, you know, Canada, which is vast. And so is the U S they don't have the physical space. Um, but they also obviously need energy. And so they've been quite um, more comfortable with the fourth R. You know, we say like recycle, reuse, reduce. Fourth R is recover. It's an energy recovery system, energy from waste. So they actually have plants that are central to like a lot of European cities. Uh, you wouldn't even know it if you're just walking by. And what's what's interesting there is you could take a resource and, you know, like tires or municipal solid wastes, similar energy from waste facilities could 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 happen, subsidize their construction through mining and burn. So I think it's really, you know, you're you're right in that you can shoot yourself in the foot because by banning proof of work mining, you're effectively banning yourself out of another way to fund public policy infrastructure, sorry, public infrastructure. I'll pause there. <laughs> That's great. I love it. There's so much to unpack. I mean, you covered so much ground. Um, one thing that you said that I thought was really fascinating, this uh, sort of um, inserting Bitcoin mining into a sort of ecologically sound system, circular system, where you've got <laughs> farms right where you've you're creating power from waste which powers miners which can then be used to heat a greenhouse i mean that is just that is so brilliant to me <laughs> well it's interesting because i i spent a decade in heavy industry um working with steel cement uh plants etc um, pulp and paper and heat recovery was a cross-cutting technology in terms of one of the ways to kind of move towards a low carbon economy is, hey, let's stop wasting things. Most of these processes need heat, so let's recycle it. And, um, you know, my industries looked at a number of different technologies, including using waste instead of, for example, coal, um, using municipal solid waste. He created this engineered fuel that's not as bad as coal to to burn. And of course, you know, we always butted up against policy, public policy. Um, and like I said, in Canada and, and the U.S., they're not as comfortable with energy from waste. 
Uh, there's a lot of nimbyism, you know, people don't, you know, not in my backyard. Uh, I'm not a lab rat. Don't burn tires or, or other things. And there were, you know, people would pick it. But like I said, Europe is in a very different place just because of the nature of, of how, how, um, how much land they have and, and their energy requirements. And so, you know, a lot of that experience that I, that I have can apply to Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining, but it's also really interesting because mining is such a completely different industry for, for a number of facets. And it's, I think, fascinating because it's one of the few industry, well, the only industry that lives at this nexus of the digital world and the physical world in that it has a physical footprint of an industrial site. Um, and we interact with it with wallets as well. And but but what the good that it produces, you know, it's this commodity that's just perfectly virtual. And no matter, you know, how much more manufacturing plants you throw at it, you won't produce any more because <laughs> it's, you know, the algorithm is designed to produce, you know, every 10 minutes um, a new block reward. So, so I think it's fascinating from that perspective. It's relentless. Peter, did you have a question or something you want to add? Well, first of all, I, I want to say, Mag, thank you so much. Um, it, it's just mesmerizing <laughs> just listening to the to the signal and the alphabet that's that that you're talking about. It's just it's so awesome being able to hear somebody discuss this kind of stuff in in such a, a clear way. I, I do have a question. Uh, we were talking about the motivation behind um, what Elizabeth Warren is doing, and I was wondering, since you alluded to having um, experience with policymaking, have you seen policymakers? I mean, obviously, policy isn't always good policy, and probably 50% of people think policy, the same policy, probably 50% of the people think it's good, and 50% of people think <laughs> it's bad. But my, my question is, do you think that policymakers, when when bad policy is being um, is being promoted, do you think that they understand that it's bad policy, or are they coming from the position that hey, this is good policy? I believe this is good policy, <laughs> even if it turns out to be bad. So um, I can personally tell you one of the re reasons I left was I got frustrated. Um, I we weren't putting forward the policy that we should have. Um, especially when a government feels like it's going to lose, uh, they try to push in policies that will try to get them reelected. So a similar, similar scenario, we had the conservatives in for two terms and then the liberals, sorry, the liberals were in for two terms and they wanted to get reelected and they were getting desperate. And it was basically around, you know, and the higher up you go, you're exposed more to kind of the internal conversations that happen. And basically, we were asked to put forward policy decisions that would help them get votes rather than ones that made sense. So even, for example, from the one that <laughs> for me was, um, you know, I was working on a low carbon program. So how can we help, um, you know, heavy industry and, and the rest of the economy uh, reduce uh, emissions? And, you know, the thing that makes the most sense in terms of bangs for the buck is something that would help a steel plant, which is the largest point source emitter, um, reduce emissions. But, you know, and it would cost maybe, you know, a couple like a um, hundred tons, let's say, or underneath that for, per, uh, sorry, a hundred dollars per ton. And instead, you know, the minister w was thinking, oh, we should do something like bike lanes, which is closer to maybe a thousand dollars per ton because people like bikes, right? So it, it's very frustrating for policymakers 
firsthand, you know, we, we see the data. Um, but oftentimes, you know, when, when politician would like to make a speech and for example, you know, the energy costs are rising, right. And we know there are because we, we see the model, but maybe we're asked to put the numbers a certain way that kind of help better tell the story. So this happens all the time. You know, they pick the data that they want to use that tells their story. And I've seen that, um, for example, in New York, when New York wanted to implement um, a mining ban, they were using probably a con, I call them, uh, what is it, econ, no, Digicon, I call them Digicon. But, you know, he's putting forward all these misleading numbers around how much energy um, a mine, sorry, per, per transaction, he uses that example as like the amount of energy that uh, gets put into um, mining a block as a transit Bitcoin transaction, you know, as much energy as a household. And that's the number that even the policymakers there were using to say how how harmful Bitcoin is. And it's completely incorrect, but it's a number they can use and they can point to, you know, this guy that has a site. So I think it's very frustrating um, when oftentimes, you know, the civil servants are powerless, right? Because ultimately it's the politician or the minister that says, I need this, fine, you know, and we need to illustrate it in some way. And I think there's a lot of frustrated policymakers um, that, and, and, and again, from experience, you know, there's a lot of good people there and they're there because they want to help. Um, and it's very frustrating. And, uh, you know, when you're working to try to help the public, but maybe it's not the right choice being undertaken. So, so sometimes what they try to do is just like, okay, how can we make this less worse? <laughs> right. I'm sure anybody working on, for example, digital ID or um, CBDC is thinking, okay, it, it, you know, if they really get it, they might be trying to advocate from the inside on privacy, right. And trying to figure out how best can we uh, make this so it's least harmful. So there's probably a lot of um, undervalued civil servants that are fighting from the inside that, you know, we don't really see just because I've seen it. Hope that answers your question. <laughs> yes, frighteningly so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's scary, you know, politicians don't necessarily have to be accurate with what they're saying. They kind of just have to be loud enough and bully enough yeah. people into not thinking a certain other way. Well, you saw really, that. In, reality. Yeah, you saw that with Warren, right? She just kept talking over Chain Analysis CEO because he wasn't giving her the numbers that she wanted. So she kept, kept trying different angles to see if she could, you know, finally get that number or the response that she wanted to elicit and she wasn't unable to. Um, sometimes they're that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt, but you could sense the frustration. I didn't see anything mm -hmm. but her, but her interview. But she, it was like she was asking leading questions, looking yes. and expecting an, an answer, and she, she didn't get any of the answers she wanted. It was just hilarious, yeah. actually. Yeah. What else I often wonder. I often wonder why. I know we're talking about it before, but I often wonder why people like. Um, say Elizabeth Warren, uh, basically why they act the way they do. And I, I think the more I think about it, the more I get confused. And the I suppose the only, um, I suppose, solution, not solution, the answer for me is that they're really just fucking mentally ill or they're psychopath-like. 
no one rationally thinks to look after themselves in a position of power, like where you're supposed to be looking after everyone else. I mean, to look after, you know, your exclusive bunch of mates and your own interest, unless you've got something wrong with you, you know? Yeah, you know, a couple, like, even like three years ago, I, I didn't hate Elizabeth Warren. Um, you know, I saw her as an advocate for, uh, you know, maybe the downtrodden and actually supported, you know, I'm in Canada, so I didn't vote or anything like that. But I was like, okay, it's, I'm, I'm happy that there's someone advocating, you know, on behalf of the little guy. And my perspective has completely shifted. And, and I wonder whether she just doesn't. So there's certain politicians like Sherman and her that don't really seem to understand. And perhaps they hate it so much that they refuse to learn. Um, you know, they're coming at it from because you hear all these stories, right? Like Quadriga happened in Canada, you know, had tens of thousands of people that lost money um, and, you know, $200 million worth. And so there's stories like that. And same thing has happened in the U.S. Uh, there's all these ICOs, um, NFT projects that keep rugging, you know, those kind of DeFi projects that rug. And so, you know, those are the stories that often make headlines. So perhaps she's reading these headlines. She's not diving in and seeing the actual good. And so she's, you know, coming at it from, I keep, you know, I used to protect the little guy from banks. And now I'm protecting the little guy from other financial issues. And she's just in that camp. Um, but it's it's unfortunate because it, it's also greatly helping the underbanked and the unbanked in the U.S. particularly, you know, if you look at the stats on who's adopted Bitcoin, um, it's it's people of color, it's um, the Spanish population, you know, the kinds of people that I think she usually typically advocates for, um, you know, they're using Cash App and Venmo if they can, you know, as bank accounts and now Strike. And so it, it's kind of very frustrating um, to see that, you know, what, what I just had a thought of maybe what, what's happening there, too, is um, typically, you know, politicians meet with um, with like industrial groups or lobby groups. But and, you know, usually they have a lot of money so they can get that meeting. But maybe the challenge there is, you know, um, to, <laughs> the, the poor and downtrodden, it, a lot of times it's just, you know, People donate and it's maybe a lobby group that's kind of a nonprofit that that might not have as strong a say as all these lobby, lobby groups as banks. Uh, I'm sure the banks at one point were saying, hey, this is going to kill us. So they were also, uh, you, you know, talking to her. I, I did do see that she gets a lot of de- donations from from the banking sector. And so maybe it's been one of those things where she's just been getting fed info originally from banks, you know, that crypto is bad. Um, and then she's just not getting maybe she's not even meeting with the new advocacy groups that have met us uh, that have, you know, been created. There's like SAT center and um, blockchain association does really good work. We've got a few new policy groups actually, and some just around Bitcoin. So, so it takes a while for these kind of groups to kind of gain prominence. Um, you know, as a policymaker, when we were putting a new policy that would uh, affect our industrial consumers or or clients, because technically, you know, businesses are clients of government. So are, you know, you, me, everybody is a client. <laughs> um, it takes a while for, uh, sorry, so so I would be like, okay, this policy is going to affect probably my steel plant. So I should talk to the steel association. I should talk to Canadian manufacturers and exporters. And, and you know, we know these groups and, or or maybe if we do something, we're like, okay, what did they say in the news? 
Uh, what's their soundbite? What do they think about this? But I think it's one of those cases where the policy advocates for Bitcoin or or for the crypto industry, they're not known, right? So they're not going to think, oh, I need to see and get their opinion or get their official response. So there could be a little bit of that where it's got to catch up and they need to become more prominent. But it's been really impressive over the last year, two years, you know, how we're organizing and a lot of money is being funneled finally into these groups to kind of gain this strength and, and reputation. It's really interesting because that that kind of plays into the conversation we were having earlier about, you know, how well known or how wide, how widespread is knowledge of uh, Bitcoin and crypto in general. And, and I think the thing that people forget is that policy takes a long time. It takes a long time to develop decks to shop the the ideas around, like to do proper policy, what you should really be doing is, you know, you step back, you're like, okay, what's the problem? What are some solutions? What are some options? And actually review the options and look into them. Like, what's the good? What's the bad? Talk to my stakeholders, like who's going to be affected, um, especially in the most, you know, um, in, in the biggest way. And, and then you, you know, you come up with those options, you put them forward. And then, you know, a decision gets made and then you reassess like, hey, did this work? Has the world changed? And I'm seeing more, you know, more often government just comes in and puts in a law like the Emergency Measures Act in, in Canada, right? Or the executive orders. And these aren't done in the typical kind of process where it takes a long time to do good policy because you do need to go talk to those st- stakeholders. You do need to come up with different options so that you pick the right one in the end, uh, you know, the recommended one. And so uh, because it's things are just like rashly being made, they're not thoughtfully being considered. So I think maybe that's one of the problems. It's all just part of their shtick, you know. Um, I mean, these these politicians, none in particular, almost every single politician um, just formulates a narrative that benefits themselves and pretty much goes along with it. There's There's no real it's just emotional arguments. There's no logical arguments. I use hugely generalized statements um, to try and I know, emotionally engage people. And it works. You know, it's worked for thousands of years. That's why they do it. Um, and, yeah, I think it's really just part of their shtick. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like, um, you know, something that you said a little while ago, I forgot who said it. I think it was you, Stoic, that politicians can get away with lying and nobody even bothers saying anything about it it's almost expected it's the fact that that's normalized right now and then they can get away with lying and nobody even really comes back to it or points it out it's just like yeah they lied again it's all right you know it's just part of life i think so i think and and it's frustrating because i think politicians used to be you know deeply respected like look at the roman times right um and it's just the world's changed and and because maybe there's such a negative perception people don't pursue this like people that are actually would do good try not to pursue it or like honestly i wouldn't be surprised if some people get changed right the game changes you you have to you want to stay in once you're already in right power corrupts (laughs) yeah absolutely um for sure i think uh you know no no pun intended alex Yeah, a person has to have a person has to have like a pretty high degree of self awareness 
obviously, and integrity to resist probably the temptations that people are faced when they have that much power. Yeah, Alex, I was you. You basically said what I was about to say. I, in one way, I think a lot of, uh, I think there are politicians that even go into politics with, uh, with good intentions and all that, and get corrupted, you know, by their surroundings, which is unfortunate. Yeah, and there are others like Mags who who see it all around them and they decide to leave that shit and join Bitcoin. Like it, it sounds like Mags, yeah. like, it, but but it, it it sounds like the reason we don't have good policymakers in all countries is because that you know that, that they get so fed up and they end up you know leaving the whole career and, and, and moving somewhere else. They don't all leave, and and honestly, you know, I I keep in touch with some, and and I know some from when I started first poking around into Bitcoin and trying to change things from the inside at the time it was all blockchain, blockchain, <laughs> but, um, you know, they're still there and, you know, we have conversations and I do know like some that are actually working to try to, and, and, and we need both. We need ones that leave and try to work from the outside, but we need those guys that are inside that maybe are hating it, but they're trying to make things a little less worse. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think we should support them. You know, that's my personal opinion. I'm not ever going to tell people what they do, what to do, but I I think that we should and uh, that they need all the help that they can get. They need all the support. You know, we're getting through to some of these and then they'll, you know, probably deep dive into the various differences. You know, what's weird is um, like I changed my political lens a long time ago. I'm neither conservative nor liberal, Republican, nor Democrat. Like, I'm an advocate of freedom and Bitcoin, full stop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So from that lens, like, I don't even, it's so weird. So so often I have people come in these spaces and, and we're breaking it down into left-right terminology and, and kind of viewpoints. And I think all of that is a disservice in, in terms of getting people divided I think mean, we need to stop with the freaking left-right platforms that are dividing people. There's so many issues yeah. that are, are indeed important to people, but the unifying thing, like if you go back to the beginning of this country, the unifying thing was the freedom. That's something that we can all get on board with. And that's my lens. It's like, if there's a politician, and granted, look, a lot of this is way more nuanced than this, but to me, it's very simple. If you're if you're supporting legislation that takes away people's freedom and reduces mm -hmm. the Bitcoin ecosystem in any way, you're not my friend. And if you are doing yeah. if you're pushing back against the, the, the taking of freedom in any way, in any way and, and against the Bitcoin ecosystem, man, that's just not. It's, it's not who I want to support. If someone's doing is helping, I will support that person. That's it. Yeah. And and just to just further um, my thought, because I think, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you can't, you know, it's bad to, <laughs> you know, FTs, everything's bad. But you, just look at the voting base, right? We need those people to vote because there's there's people that are into Web3 and to NFTs and DeFi, you know, maybe they don't care about Bitcoin specifically, but they will come out and vote against Sherman. They'll come out and vote against Warren because they threaten, mm -hmm. you know, what they're working on. Yeah, um, yeah. And they're just so out of touch. Right. So so I think like I, I get what you're saying. And, um, you know, a lot of them will get burned. But I think the whole point is they, they, they should have the freedom to get burned. 
right? And to learn, because I got burned, you know, I first came in on ICOs and that was a learning experience, a huge one, right? That's why, you know, I'm very, you know, prime for Bitcoin. And, but the whole point is I had that choice and they're removing that choice. So, you know, we're all about freedom. Let them have the freedom to get burned Uh, because it's trial by fire. It is the best way to learn. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think I misunderstood you. I thought you were talking about the left-right thing when you said come together. But what you're really talking about is shitcoiners and Bitcoiners come together. Yeah, sorry. Exactly, exactly. Sorry. Yeah, that's what I meant, that they should come together. Like, there's a lot of capital that's needed to change minds to advocate and, um, you know, politicians. And it won't just come from Bitcoiners. Uh, like, I, I think I think hardcore Bitcoiners is a very small group of subset of the population that said you know if you look at the industry there's a lot of money moving into mining and it's primarily bitcoin mining so you know there is some clout there but i think to fight it for from the way to you know what kind of government do we want and what kind of policies do we want you need a, a huge swath of the population and a lot you know of people hold both yeah i feel like we need to completely change directions when it comes to legislation just start repealing like <laughs> If, so, I were to, if I were to pick the perfect yeah. candidate, it would be somebody who is pro-freedom, pro-Bitcoin, and pro-repealing everything. You know, here's the tough part. So on one of my policy files, I was working on um, uh, an act around uh, how the electricity, it came to do with like how the electricity system was structured and certain, um, uh, there was a debt that was being the, the tax, taxpayers ratepayers were paying in and but, but the whole point is i remember having to break it apart because we wanted to repeal this so people would stop paying on their bills for this debt that uh was part of the re- part of the reason was was there was um you know the system was private it was made public then then they realized oh I had to dig through all the different acts that were interlinked with it and try to find the connections. And you wouldn't believe like these acts are long, some of them, because they connect into so many other things. And it's it's not that easy to say, hey, I want to change it because there's so many unintended consequences. That you right. Do and that's the reason they do it. Right. Yeah. Like if you, yeah. if you mix in enough good things with the bad things, you can't repeal yeah. it because then Look you're repealing the good. OK, so. This is something else that I think we need to do. I think we need to create a constitutional amendment that says you cannot introduce new legislation to Congress that's more than 10 pages long, not smaller than a certain font size and not more than a certain number of words that can only cover that can only cover, you know, maybe one topic at a time instead of. 3,000 different pet projects where some... Bukele, remember his act? He's like, and I repeal anything that doesn't, uh, uh, you know, fit with this Bitcoin legal tender. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> it's like one yeah. page, pages. These omnibus bills are, are nonsense, man. They're awful. Honestly, I, I don't understand how that happens because like even... So we have omnibus bills here. I'll tell you. Okay, this is an opinion. Right. How it happened was a 21 percent increase in their pay. That's part of how it happened. Sure. But but so I've been part of omnibus bills and. They're not that long, first of all. They're very short in in Canada. This one was 25 all in Canada. My bad, my bad. 
but but so the ones that I've worked on, you know, usually there's one in the fall and one in the spring. And months ahead of time, you know, people submit what they're putting forward, what policy, and it goes around, it gets shopped to all the ministries, and we all do an assessment. Oh, okay, is this gonna how is this gonna affect us? And then, you know, after all that discussion and voting, it gets put in. But like everybody reads it. The policy staff read it. They put forward, you know, around all these little issues, they put forward their suggestions, but they're not like 2000 pages. So it's shocking to me that how that can get voted when nobody reads it. Yeah. You know, this entire time I was thinking you were American for some reason, but (laughs) apologies. Um, yeah, I agree with that. How the hell do these things get passed when they're 2,500 pages and they just have everything, including the kitchen sink in there? Yeah, the like policy work to behind it that would get you to 2,000 pages. Like, I just don't see people assessing, you know, like you, you need months. And I'm not sure that I don't think that's happening ahead of time to look at every clause. And that's how you get things like the last one, the infrastructure bill which would actually harm digital infrastructure that was being put forward, right? Because it, it thoroughly wasn't vetted. And I they, feel like most of these people are just in, in looting mode. They don't really care. They're, all they want is they want their own pet projects. They want their cut. They want their share of... There's There was a fucking ski jump being paid for in this. <laughs> in some special place on the East Coast, a ski jump. And they're gonna they're basically gonna tax the entire American population to pay for this freaking ski jump. And there's well, another stupid one. There's like a four million dollar allocation for some sheep research facility or some shit. It's completely ridiculous. Man, skiing I, I and sheep are important, jump. Ali. What was that? Say it again, Noodle. I didn't catch that. Skiing and um, sheep are two very important things right now. I mean, look what's going on in the world. We need both. It's important. <laughs> I think it comes down to somebody had a pet project and said, I'll vote for your pet project if you vote for mine. And there's maybe like a pet right. project. Like yeah. my cousin, my cousin, by the way, who runs this nonprofit over here, fucking studying sheep is going to get the $4 million. So sign it and I'll sign your, let's scratch each other's back here. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it about getting votes, right? But it just talks to the utter clown world that we're living in. It, it it just further reinforces it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it comes back to the whole the whole question about how do you read a twenty five hundred page omnibus bill? You don't. You just take your twenty one percent pay increase. You take your approval of your little fucking pet project. You loot America, and you're like, "Yo, it's all good, man." Let's get rid of these assholes. Stick. <laughs> As a Bitcoiner, though, I was I was quite amused to see the the twenty one um, percent increase and, and kind of question why they went for that number. As we used to say in advertising agency, nothing by accident. What was that? What did you say? Yeah, I was saying I think nothing is by accident. Mm. But it also Stoic. shows you. That the true inflation number, you know, it, it, they're, they're bouting out numbers like seven point nine percent, and meanwhile giving themselves a twenty one percent increase. It, it, it's a joke. And then blame it on Russia. Stoic. Did you have a question <laughs> or a comment? 
Yeah, speaking of freedom and getting rid of these uh, psychopaths, what do you reckon would maybe even have some models about what taxation would look on a Bitcoin standard? I mean, how is big, how is the government going to be able to even get $1 of tax from, or one sat of tax, I should say, from anybody when it's complete self-custody? Like currently in Australia, we have, it's called pay-g, like pay-as-you-go, so you don't even have a choice. The government just takes it from you. How does that look like on a government standard, do we think? Yeah, I mean, this is a basic, basic Bitcoin game theory, I think. When you flip the taxation model upside down, right, it becomes voluntary. Everything becomes meritocratic, meaning if I'm a politician and I want you to, you know, I have a proposal for something that I want to do with your tax money. I have to put the proposal forward and say, will you please give me money to fund this? Because it can't be taken from you. It's voluntary. Right. No one's really going to do that, though. I mean, especially like especially in poorer countries where like tax evasion is almost a national sport. People don't pay it simply because they know no one else pays it. So how does that all function? Okay, so no, I disagree with that. That has happened before in history. It happened at the at the beginning of the United States of America. You need to understand that uh, income taxes were not always the law of the land. In the very beginning of the United States, there was no such thing as an income tax. It was all excise tax, which is almost voluntary, basically. It's like people get together like, hey, we want to build these roads or we want to build this navy or we want to build this army to go do this thing. And then the people are like, well, shit, yeah, we need this navy. Let's put the money in. It was voluntary. (laughs) I mean, sort of. I mean, a lot of it's got to do with coercion to a manipulation. Peter, did you have a thought there? Yeah, I think I think it goes to a, I think one of the ways that they're going to be able to, to get revenue is going to a consumption tax, which is a, which is a fair way. Uh, it's still regressive, but it's a relative. It's, it's fairer than some other ways to, to get revenue. That is an excise tax, though. That literally is what I'm saying. But how do you enforce oh, that, though? I I actually think it's it becomes voluntary. And, well, no, it's at point of sale. You you enforce it at point of sale. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. But also, the, I, mean, I mean, I don't know who's read the sovereign individual here, but it, it, if things play out how how they think it will play out, it, it will it will lead people to kind of you know go to certain jurisdictions that you know have you know decent tax policies and do you know the the, the right and proper things with the people's money, right. So, like I said, meritocratic, right? Jurisdictions will have to compete for Bitcoiners' Bitcoin. The the politicians mm-hmm. will have to. It, it, it's going to be more like a politician will be treated, in my opinion, more like a CEO of a company. They're going to have to perform. They're going to have to get results. Yeah. They're going to have to provide an environment that people actually want to live in. I think El Salvador is an amazing example of what's happening there. I mean... Jury's still out, obviously, on the long-term effects of making Bitcoin legal tender there, but so far it's working pretty damn good. 10% growth in GDP, over 30% growth in tourism. Fascinating. I'll be going there too. Um, I know a lot of Bitcoiners will be. As soon as I can get out of this prison island, I'll be going straight to El Salvador. I'd love to know, like, sort of firsthand from El Salvadorians, like, because, you know, 
as Bitcoiners, we all kind of, you know, deify Bukele and, 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 you know, think he's, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. And I'm not suggesting he's not, but I wonder what the general kind of sentiment is with your average El, you know, El Salvadorian outside, you know, for instance, San Salvador or Bitcoin Beach. Well, his approval rating is quite high. I think he's around 65% approval, even after in post-election polls. I don't, um, I don't know that in the beginning of something that every citizen in El Salvador is even going to feel affected by it. Like, you could have a 10% shift in GDP, right? And it might create like a, maybe a little more feeling of optimism in the country, et cetera. But is that actually going to impact an individual's bottom line? Like, I think you like, you're right, Noodle. It's going to be local probably to start and go from there. Well, I'm excited to see if there's another country that gets, uh, has a big announcement at this Bitcoin conference. Yeah, right. yeah, that'd be awesome. Max, my money. Hinting at, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Who do you think it is? Well, my 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 money's on on one of the South Americans. It's either Mexico or Argentina. That's who I think. Max was hinting yesterday. Um, oh shoot, what was it? Guatemala. One of those countries. Anyways, it was a. Uh, I, I think the truth is, it doesn't really matter who it is like it, it's one, one's done it the, the, it's almost like that second one like everyone thinks the first one is that domino but i actually think it's more the second and and almost the third that that, that kind of create that domino effect if you know mm-hmm. the imf already shitting their pants over el salvador and <laughs> they're doing all they can to you know sort of you know put every other country off it but once you, you know once you get one or two not one but once you get two or, or three of these smaller countries and they start to see the benefits so like as alex said you know the 10 percent gdp growth once you know other smaller countries whether that be in south america or anywhere in the world you know you can't tell me that they're not looking at and thinking shit something's going on here um uh, and it, it will lead to that domino effect to the point where imf just have their hands tied and, and they're screwed I think a lot of countries are looking how the bond is going to turn out. And I'm hoping to get, you know, I'm hoping that's why the president is speaking as to to talk about the bond. And hopefully it's completed and been issued. Um, so I think countries will take note, right? Because he was asking for a billion, I think 1.3 billion IMF loan. And now he's looking for 1 billion, uh, you know, to raise 1 billion through bonds. So, you know, that's something that I do think the other countries are looking at to see how successful it is. And perhaps they're not, uh, you know, uh, perhaps they can get away the, around the IMF. And I think what was actually a really eye-opening interview, Preston recently did uh, one where they broke down the IMF, um, the World Bank, and the third group that we all love as Bitcoiners. But um, it's just shocking to hear their structure and how even like, you know how there's like diplomatic immunity? The bankers there have immunity, which, and they can do whatever they want. <laughs> and and their income is tax-free. And I oh, think yeah. you're talking about the one with Sam Calhoun, I think. I think that so, was, yeah. It was, yeah, that it was, was really good. It was really good. And I think everybody should listen to that. 
because it'll make you more angry and <laughs> make you understand exactly it, why we're here. There's a great book. I I I started reading it. Admittedly, I hadn't haven't finished it, but I think it's called Confessions of an Economic Hitman. It's all about oh, the. Oh yes, I've heard about it. Okay, I there's a new that. version, and it's good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So check this out. The go moving forward with the IMF is they're going to be trying to um, dissuade uh, countries from using cryptocurrency at all. Like there's this recent article that just came out where the IMF, uh, let's see, Argentina, I'm saying it wrong. I know Argentine Congress IMF debt deal that would discourage crypto usage. So basically... They approved a debt deal worth $45 billion from the IMF, but the contingency is they cannot use cryptocurrency. So that's going to be the go. They're going to offer them these gigantic piles, $45 billion, gigantic piles of money to um, basically bribe the legislators to passing legislation that says they cannot use cryptocurrency. So you're going to see it go both directions, I think, at this point. So with that, it's like, what happened? That money gets spent. And then, you know, and they had that deal, but then Bitcoin still rolled. And then they realized how much they missed out. I mean, it doesn't go away. It doesn't solve by paying off now. It just stinks of like the kind of loss throws a desperation to me. That's how I look at it. Yeah. I mean, well, that's all, that's the, they're using the only tools they have in their toolbox. The rest. <laughs> so the thing, is, though, the thing is, though, ultimately the market's going to show the way, right? Um, Ten years from now, some countries that have moved to a Bitcoin standard will probably be massively prosperous. And other countries that accepted the $45 billion loan from the IMF are now slaves to that system. It's weird. It's almost like they're going to have to completely clamp down on those people. Otherwise, they got a problem on their hands 10 years down the road. They have to turn it into North Korea, I guess. You guys can't read the news anywhere because otherwise you'll find out our neighboring country. They're doing really good. You guys suck. But there's there's nothing they can't. That, that's the beauty of all this. There's nothing they can do to stop that. And it's this, this kind of, you know, slowly, slowly catchy monkey of, of Bitcoin's organic growth. It is just so kind of enchanting and kind of it, it can't be stopped. It's one of the key tenants of Bitcoin that makes it so beautiful. It cannot be stopped. Yeah. All right. Based on everything um, that's happening, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, based on everything that's happening here in Texas, uh, you know, my money's on Mexico. I want to see Mexico go number two. You know, I mean, it's there's a lot of that Bitcoin would be support huge. here. It would be huge, and there's a lot that's of Bitcoin support here. That's a country like Tonga, which I do think could um, could become on the Bitcoin standard this year, uh, but they have they have a whole process to go through. But I mean, this is like <laughs> our big one of our biggest trading partners for Canada. I'm, Probably for the U.S. too, right? For sure. And I don't see myself, uh, you know, being able to successfully uh, argue my family down to El Salvador. But I think we might be able to make it to Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's going to vacation in Mexico. 
All right, so we're coming up here to the end of the show. If you're on the stage right now, I'll start thinking. Sure, I can go first. Um, just in terms of the immutability and stuff, I think, uh, you know, we're talking pretty highly of Chivo and other, um, you know, wallets. I think really important is to obviously take your uh, Bitcoin off exchanges <laughs> because, uh, you know, they can freeze your funds uh, if they're on there, right? So um, blocking on and off ramps uh, is probably going to be our next big um, boss, as we say. Um, so yeah, just taking your coins off exchanges and just being wary of, um, you know, make sure you're holding your own keys rather than trusting uh, other people or exchanges with your wallet, uh, or sorry, with your uh, funds. And uh, thanks for having me up. Appreciate it. You bet, man. Thanks for stopping by. Really appreciate that. And that's a very valuable point you just made. I just want to yeah, thank everybody. Um, oh, go ahead, Chuck. Oh, sorry, mate. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, thanks for having me up, guys. For me personally, uh, you know, Bitcoin is really not just something that I do. It's really my life. Um, and my goal in life is to really have, you know, if Bitcoin doesn't work, my essentially my life has failed. You know what I mean? My life has been a failure. Um, so, look, on that note, if there's anything, anything at all that I can do for anyone to help, you know, progress the cause, uh, to anything at all, guys, just let me know. If you want to give me a follow, give me a follow. I'll 100% follow back every single person. Um, and yeah, look forward to it, guys. Let, let's make this fucking happen. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you uh, yet again, everybody up here who gets to teach this old dog some new tricks. I want to say yeah, massive thank you again for, for allowing me to blur on. And it's just amazing. You know, each day and every time I come on faces, I I find new people that, that inspire me in, in, in this space and a big shout out to Mags as well. Um, fantastic space. Yeah, I just want to say thanks. Big ups to CoinKite. Love all the products. And uh, I had a tweet the other day where I showed a, a coal car next to a couple of you know, checking and saving. I mean, that's like how I feel. really appreciate the work that y'all do at uh, CoinKite. Thanks. Is it my turn? Yep, I guess. <laughs> Closing comments. Yeah, the floor. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for the shout out. And I feel like I it, I should point out that our cold card wallet, the MK4, is coming out. Uh, got some pretty cool features like NFC tap to pay. Uh, we've got a second secure element and plus the MCU. So three chips working together to protect your Bitcoin. And they're all from different vendors. So it makes that attack vector a lot harder. We've got so many cool trick options. You can, you know, unlock your direct wallet. There's login delays. You can break the device with a pin. So there's a lot more optionality coming. USB-C, guys. <laughs> and it, there's more space to um, faster booting, but then also it allows more multi-sig options. So it's pretty cool. Check that out. We've got that coming. And there's a bit of a discount now if you pre-order. So I thought I should put that there as well and thank you for inviting me um and giving the opportunity to kick back and chat about what's happening in this space you bet thanks for coming really appreciate it appreciate what you guys do for the for the whole ecosystem um love coin kite love your products have several intend to buy more by the way um for what it's worth i my my vote is for when you 
when you break the device, it does throw sparks and smokes. So I know you guys were considering that somehow. If you can make that a reality, I think that that's me. As a firefighter, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> we could do we could do like a digital little like pew pew on the screen or something. <laughs> I love it. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We do this every day. We go at Monday through Friday. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific. We roll for about two hours. Talk about all things Bitcoin. Great place for your morning news in Bitcoin, as well as for a preferred hangout for a lot of the smartest people in Bitcoin to just drop in, talk about what's going on. This is also a podcast. Stop on Spotify, Apple, everywhere you get your podcasts. Bitcoin 2022 conference is coming up. Guys, huge deal. 30,000 plus Bitcoiners descending on Miami. It's going to be a great time. Do not miss it. I'm going to be there. Mag's going to that thing. Do you going? Oh, yeah. Looking forward to it. My first one. Awesome. My first one, too. I'm so looking forward to meeting in person. Many of the people that I've been learning from over the past couple of years, I'm just stoked for that. Uh, if you haven't got your tickets yet, it's not too late. Promo code SWAN for 10% off. By the way, if you pay in Bitcoin, that's another 30% off. That's cheat code. Buy some Bitcoin, then buy your ticket. 30% discount if you pay in Bitcoin. And then another 10% off if you use promo code SWAN. Thanks, everybody, for being here. This has been an awesome show. If you're new to Bitcoin, you want to come and learn, you're all welcome. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin and Bitcoin Magazine. My crew, Aunt Shane, Sats for Life, producer Jacob Pope. Thanks to the speakers again for coming, spending your personal time to share what you know about Bitcoin, because that's kind of like, to me, it's like really important. It's the mission. Helping people understand what this thing is. Kind of directing traffic onto the arc, so to speak, is the way I look at it. My name is Alex Danzig. I'm your host. I work with Swan Bitcoin in Swan Private. Swan Private, by the way, is the one-on-one shared surface for high net worth investors who are looking to buy Bitcoin and want somebody to explain everything to them over time. Shoot me a DM. Happy to help you myself. Finally, get on the mission, guys. And the mission is Bitcoin is the peaceful path forward for humanity. I believe that with every cell in my being. You want to be part of that thing? You can hang out here, do the work. Love all of you guys. Go out there and have a great day. Crush it.